You're drunk. You're, you're pathetic, so. What'd you say to me? What the fuck did you just say to me? I didn't mean- You're fucking pathetic. Prancing around like the newest member of Beta Phi, drinking like there's no tomorrow. Does that make you feel good, powerful, like one of the boys? Because I'll tell you something, you don't look like one of the boys. You look like the hooker that paid to keep them company. That was Alden Ehrenreich and Phoebe Dynavore having a tense conversation about work-life balance in director Chloe Domont's movie Fair Play, which I saw on Netflix not long ago and was surprised to find very compelling and even haunting. Welcome to MF, by the way. I'm Matt Himes. And this is our third episode and the first one with a guest. I recently discovered that Isaac Simpson, uh, the owner of the marketing and branding agency Will, as well as a prolific writer and podcaster, shared my enthusiasm for Fair Play. And after a brief Twitter exchange, he was kind enough to come on the show and discuss the movie with me. You've written for um, Vice, LA Weekly, and you've also had a career in mainstream advertising. And now you have Will the Agency. You can see it at willtheagency.com. And it is, I guess you'd call it a dissident branding and marketing agency, basically for brands that just want to be themselves and tell their story without having to um, pay attention to any of these, the nonsense. The reason that I know of you uh, or that I found out about you is because of your Substack and podcast, The Carousel. You're on Twitter as Disgraced Propagandist, and your Substack and podcast is at carousel.blog. I believe that's the new yeah, address. Hey, thanks for uh, everything. That everything up. is there. Yeah. Also, woke sucks, right? Woke. <laughs> yeah, dot, why not? I'm glad you I, saw that. Yeah, I, you know, I like to do my my, my my research here, and I first, um, you know, your podcast to me is uh, impressively comprehensive. You're basically it's just an expanding list of all these people on whatever you'd call this this scene, this dissident right or the whole variety of people doing different things and uh, you, you keep, you're fairly prolific with it. So for me, it's like, I see some interesting thread on Twitter. Uh, I can often go back to your podcast and find who um, you interviewing them. And sort of like, it's great to, to get to know these people as more than just Twitter avatars. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I try, you know, it's weird. It's, it's a weird, um, thing, you know? So sometimes I like, sometimes I see somebody else and their podcast numbers are so much better than mine. And I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? You know? And then other times I'm like, Oh, you know, this is great. It's a, it's a good way to just talk to people. It's a good way to get to know people. I mean, it definitely seems like recently I've been becoming more of like a, you know, a household name. I don't think of myself as a good podcaster. I don't, it, I don't really pay much attention or try very hard to like be a good podcaster. I think I've gotten better over time. Um, but 
the thing that I really care about being good at is the writing. You know, that's, that's yeah. the thing that I like yes. really work at. Um, and I can tell when I publish a piece of writing, it like, it does better than pretty much anybody. Whereas right. when I do a podcast, there are many other podcasters who have much better, much better like podcasts than I do. I, I just like, I really do like to get to know, I have a lot of curiosity about like, yeah, same with you. Who are these people in our yeah. scene? And, you know, I think that that makes some people think I'm a Zionist shill because I'm just like trying to get to know people, but it's not that. It comes I really through. just, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious about who these people are. Yeah, the curiosity comes through. You can't yeah. fake it. And that's why right. I, I, I feel the same as you in terms of podcasts. I'm much more interested in writing. In your case, it yeah. seems like the podcast is a good thing to do just to put yourself out there, to meet people, to learn about these people. And it's like promotion, you know. But, yeah, it, it was a piece of writing that first caught my attention from you. And it was your um, uh, vibe shift. It was about the hype dad. Uh, you're an analyzing a certain very familiar character for anyone who's worked in sort of advertising or uh, uh, marketing, and and I as I have. So for me, it was just this sense of wow, this guy is articulating this thing that I I when I think about it, I've noticed, but I'd never managed to put into words. And it's I essentially it is one of these things, and you realize this about about everything that is one of these. Like the longhouse is another one of these things. Yeah. These memes are these like egregores that we create. Uh, and they really have a different meaning to everybody, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same, but it also means something totally different. What I've really noticed about Hype Dad is the guy who came up with the, the concept of Hype Dad is my friend Sean Monahan, who's a total advertising genius. And I expanded upon it. But really, my thoughts about a hype dad are totally different than his. Like, we've right. talked about it since a bunch of times. And, like, he's really visualizing something different than in my head that I'm visualizing, you know? So it's like, I think you kind of, like, build these things, these, these concepts. I mean, this is what our – I've been thinking a lot about this now these days. Like, the art of our time is mimesis, right? It's mimetic. Yeah. Which yeah. has, is, that's never been the case before, ever. I mean, like, sure, there's, there's modernism and postmodernism and, and things that refer to the past, definitely. But there's never been this, the art of our time is mimetic in the sense that it is totally reliant on everybody else's understanding at, at that given moment to, for it to yeah. be good. And that's what social media has given us. And... You know, that's what the art of our time is now. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, whether you like it or not, that, that's, that's just what it is. And that's why, you know, you sit in front of the TV and you open up your phone and you try and pay attention to the TV. But what do you pay attention to? You pay attention to your phone because yeah. just the depth of the analysis that you're getting on Twitter is so much deeper and funnier than yeah. you know, anything you're getting on screen. So. That's, I, I find it harder attention span wise i find it easier to read than to watch a tv show because yeah reading Sorry. your it's Sorry. even a hardback uh, a hard copy book it's internet like in that you can you can kind of scroll through so to speak and you can speed up or skip skip around whereas you can do that with streaming i guess but it's harder you just, i just feel like i'm captive to these people's storytelling style and especially nowadays you know it's going to be oh they're going to play this out for 20 episodes when it probably could be told in a two-hour story 
Uh, but that brings me to this this movie that made me want to talk to you. Uh, I my wife is really into. She watches a lot of movies and TV. She'll watch anything. She just likes to unwind to turn off her brain. Uh, she works in finance. Uh, I work in pop culture. So by the end of the day, I I kind of it's the last thing I want to engage with. You know, I'd rather go on these obscure Twitter threads and stuff. But there's a movie on Netflix. It's called Fair Play. And it came out in the fall, and it was um, it was a big acquisition at Sundance. Netflix did not produce it; they bought it for twenty million dollars at Sundance last year. And it's written and directed by this woman, Chloe Demont, who before that was a you know working TV director. She worked on Billions and Star Trek and um, <clears throat> shows like that. And she just had been working on this concept, pitched it to a company, made the movie, and it turned out to be a big hit. At Sundance, but I had heard something vaguely about it, and I was looking for something to watch, and I had no expectations for it. I thought, I'll give it a try, Um, and I was surprised by how engaging I found it, and I did not know anyone else who read it, I mean, who who had seen it, and then on Twitter, you posted a picture of the the actress, um, Phoebe Dynam... Phoebe. Yeah, well, how do you say her name? Oh, like Phoebe Dynavor. So you post, you posted her pic. I might be yeah, pronouncing yeah. that wrong, uh, but you posted her yeah. picture and said something like, "She's going to be really big in two years." And I said, "Oh, I, I loved her, her role in what she did in in Fair Play." And you said, "Me too." And then I said, "Oh, I, let's talk about it now." In our email correspondence, I added something like, "Oh, you know, I really think that I, I really liked how they." Um, how subtle the movie was, and I don't feel like it was this propagandistic attack on quote-unquote toxic masculinity. And you said, well, I, I disagree with you that it wasn't feminist propaganda, but we can, we can talk about it. And I went back and revisited it, the, the movie, and learned about the director a little bit. And I have to say it's not looking great for my case. Uh, so I, I revised my, my opinion is that it is it might be propaganda but it is extremely well done and sophisticated and therefore entertaining which that at least is a step forward um so i'm just going to set up set up the movie so we can talk about it for those who haven't seen it which i imagine might be uh many people um so it's just set in a it's a young couple luke and emily luke is played by aiden uh aiden Oh, no, Alden Ehrenreich, who Alden is Ehrenreich. one of these guys they've been trying to make happen for a yeah, long time. Been like, to make him I think he played he played Han Solo, and so I've no, I had no interest. I didn't even know who, I didn't really recognize him. But by the end of the movie, I thought, well, okay, this guy can act. He did a good job. Uh, it's it's kind of a he had to really put a lot of himself into this role. It's kind of a uh, uh, I don't know uh, exposing himself, and. Um, but she was very impressive, very beautiful, very um, sexy. And I'm always blown away, stupidly blown away, when uh, an American act, when someone playing an American turns out to be British, as she is. Like, it's a magic trick. Well, wow, she sounded like she was from Long Island, for real. But she's not. She's yeah. English. She, uh, she was on Bridgerton, a show that I'll probably never watch, but um, it's one of those Shonda Rhimes shows. Anyway, we open this couple... They're at a wedding, his wedding, and uh, or his his like a family wedding, his cousin's wedding, and it's established that he's kind of wealthy. He went to Yale. They're both in their mid twenties. He proposes to her, and um, we then find out 
that they live together and they both work at the same uh, elite hedge fund in Manhattan. Um, I think it's called like Crest One Capital. And they're both analysts, the sort of lowest level, and they have a secret relationship. No one can know about it. And um, <clears throat> she, we realize, is from Long Island. She's not rich. She's not sort of, I, she's not of the background. So she's a real striver. Uh, throughout the movie, her mother is calling her and her mother's just kind of annoying and doesn't really get anything. Anyway, we see a PM, a, prod, a uh, portfolio manager, uh, get fired and have this big meltdown in the office and everyone's gossiping and, oh, he's going to be replaced. Who's going to get the job? And everyone seems to think that Luke is going to get the job. And then it turns out that Emily gets the job. And the rest of the movie is basically us watching Luke uh, try and fail to handle this. Um, and it just becomes this meltdown. And we're not going to do spoilers. I mean, we're not going to worry about spoilers. The movie's been out for a while. But essentially, he just... Um, <clears throat> It's almost like a fatal attraction, gender-reversed fatal attraction. I mean, I did think it was did a great job of being suspenseful and thrilling. I, didn't, I was like, what's going to happen? It didn't feel like it was a by-the-numbers thing. I thought, is he going to shoot up the office? Is, is she going to kill him? Whatever. Uh, anyway, um, so that's what happens. And it is, looking back at it, it is definitely, he's more at fault than she is for sure. Right. Um, now, how would you say it's, it's Wait, he's more what than she is? He, oh, he's more at fault. He's obviously fault. Oh, yeah. he's obviously I wouldn't say he's. It, it's not exact. It's very subtle how he's the villain. It's not cartoonish, really. Well, but, so it, it is. But it's so first of all, I completely agree with everything you've said so far. It, it's I was very engaged in this movie, yeah. and and I it's so and it's it's really because of her, you know. She's yeah. so good. Yes. And uh, you know, Alden Ehrenreich is he's fine. You know, he he was discovered by he went to high school with my wife. Oh, really? Who, you know, and so he's like an L.A. Did like, like Spielberg discover him or something? Like, yeah, this Spielberg discovered him at a bar mitzvah. Mm. <laughs> so, oh yeah, just like that's you know, like and because he's so you know he's very very good looking. Yeah, you know, but he just doesn't like. I've actually met him. He's uh, I've met him actually a few times. Um, I'm sure he wouldn't remember me, but uh, he's a nice guy. He's a good actor. You know, he's good in this. He's he was funny in Hail Caesar. Yeah. He played like a dumb guy in Hail Caesar. He was just like a dumb actor that Ray Fiennes is trying to get to say a line correctly. Right. And he's and, also in, in – he plays like young JFK in the Oh, okay. Missed that one. But yeah, he's He's, he's great good. in Oppenheimer too. He, you know, the thing is he is a good actor. He definitely like has it, you know? Yeah. Um, but he just for some reason, he never – he can't quite like – he can't quite get to a place where you really want to watch him. You know, like, I, yeah. I, it's weird. I don't really know why. It's like he's missing some part that, like, yeah. even a Chris Pratt, who is annoying as hell, kind of has. Because Chris yes. Pratt has, like, some some charmingness that Alden Ehrenreich is just missing for some reason. And um, so he's good, too, though. But she's really special. Like, she's, she's incredible in this. Yeah. And um, once I knew it was directed by a woman... I I kind of like I was like okay I know where this is going mm -hmm. and 
It's actually, but you're right. It is. It is so much better done than Promising Young Woman, right? Which yeah. is like the, like the most heavy ha- ham fisted, uh, over the top version of one of these like feminist propaganda films. Po- yeah. You know, feminism porn, workplace porn, and um, it's very very well done. But it is totally one of them, in my opinion, because. She actually never does anything wrong. You know, like in, in reality, she doesn't really. The only thing she does that is like maybe slightly not okay is getting drunk. Yeah. And, but, but even when she's getting drunk, she's getting drunk because she has to get drunk for work. She's not doing it because yeah. she is flawed. She's doing it because the yes. world demands of her that she get drunk, even though she doesn't really want to, you know? Yes. And, 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 and I could see that a more subtle movie would maybe show her making comp, like wanting success so badly that she puts up with more or that she's compromised as well. And she or, really yeah. isn't. Or, or how about she does flirt with the, the guy? You know what I mean? Like that, that would have made it, if, yeah. if they were really interested in it being equal and, and ambiguous. They would have made it so that, yeah, she did f- knowingly flirt, you know, knowingly like go up to the line with these guys that because yeah. that's the part that's not fair about this. You, you said on Twitter, um, it, it really does seem like a good depiction of male insecurity or male. Yeah. Use a better word. What, what did you, I can't remember. What I hope said, I didn't but, say fragility cause that's a cliche, yeah, but maybe male, male ego. That's what the director uh, yeah. called it. Right. And so like in that sense, it is accurate. Like what's great about it is like in this circumstance, if this exact set of facts happens, it's true. The man would have a really hard time dealing yeah. with it. It would suck. You know, it would be, it would really be bad. On his side, right? Yeah. But they're not honest about her side. They're not. They're not right. honest about what this would really be like for a woman. You know, like if you're really a woman who's hot, working in Manhattan with a bunch of super rich bankers, we're supposed to believe they're not hitting on you at all. Like, give me a fucking break. Of course, they're right. hitting on her in some way. You know. So it's like, yeah. I, well, you know, I, I. I read some interviews with the director and to sort of bolster your case, uh, she says everything that you would expect her to, you know, she goes through all the beats of the movies. She's when she gets the promotion, her first reaction isn't excitement. It's fear. She knows that this is a man with a fragile ego. I don't, I didn't see that in the acting in that moment necessarily. Uh, And I think the actors have transcended in some ways her sort of program which make yeah. it would not have worked yeah. with she really elevated the movie but yes she does she says all the things she talks about red flags she talks about um uh reclaiming her power and all of this stuff and she does say this is not a movie about um it's about male fragility it's not about um yeah, i guess what about, the other, right exactly right and so so it is which which that to me at least so there's no like this isn't i love madman but this isn't like peggy and madman strutting down the hall in slow motion smoking a cigarette after she bested all the guys this is i mean this woman she has to and she's gonna be well compensated for it but she kind of conforms to this world so it's not like a long housing thing maybe because it's finance 
What I thought was interesting, I noticed watching it again in the opening, when you first see them at the office, someone is watching a mandatory HR uh, like video about being polite. And, and meanwhile, you have all of the coarse language of the analysts and the, and the PMs abusing them. And then in the background, you see the portfolio manager uh, who just got fired, and that will incite the whole action. You see him trashing his office and having a meltdown and say, fuck you. And, and so that to me um, is a sly nod to the fact that um, you always hear women say, oh, this is a man's industry. Well, this, I guess in some ways this really is because of the, there's something, there's some clarity about it with the money involved. I guess it's that way probably in every industry at the very top. They all have this DEI stuff, and that's because they have to or because it's good marketing. But I was just thinking of your essay and the ad industry, and you had a very funny um, – when you're talking about all the waste in advertising, and you're just talking about sitting in meetings where it's like we're spending an hour going over the placement of a period or a word. And, um, <clears throat> and that is sort of – you know, you can – cut it down but that is the nature of of i guess these vague kind of creative industries as opposed to it's more clear cut I, i'm not i'd never worked in finance but it is more yeah. clear cut you you lose this money or you don't whereas i guess in advertising you lose a client or you don't and that's much more about you can kind of bullshit it and finesse yeah. it <laughs> yeah. well, um which a client has almost nothing <clears throat> to do with you know, that's almost totally unrelated to how your stuff performs in, in the vast majority of cases, you know, um, whereas finance, yeah, I mean, you'd like to believe that at the, you know, at, at some really cool, this is probably some type of, you know, hedge fund or private equity yeah. group, right? This is like peak finance. That's what yeah. this is supposed to be. And of course you have the, the main boss, the big boss. Yeah. Is this like obviously Jewish, like Brook guy who still has a hardcore Brooklyn yeah. accent who clearly like came up from the, the streets, yeah. which I think is actually probably pretty realistic. Like I think yeah. a lot of those guys at the top of those things are that. Um, and so he, that was a cool character too. Whoever was. wrote this definitely. Yeah, Eddie Marson is, yeah. I love that actor. He's normally he just plays cause he's kind of goofy looking. You don't often see him play just a cool collected heavy and he was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause he's kind of goofy looking. Yeah. He was great too. Yeah. Really good acting. She, she definitely, the director say what you will about, about her ideas, but she did a good <clears throat> job directing these actors. And um, also, yeah. And also to her credit, it is, it is an erotic thriller, I guess is what you'd call it first. And, for, <laughs> yeah. and like she does, it is just these, sex scenes and you know it's that funny gag in the beginning she's on her period and yeah. it there's they didn't really get into i mean it's just kind of relaxed and yeah. it also it's it's two good looking young white people yeah and it isn't about race at all yeah there's just, no race it's just, there's it's just kind of realistic also, thankfully no like race yeah. there's no like characters that's the shoehorn yeah black guy um which is great uh, yeah. And so I, again, I wish I, I have never, I've gotten, you know, when I lived in Manhattan, I hung out with a bunch of banker bros and I, my job at the DA's office was for the first year was like vaguely related in banking as well. So I was kind of like 
butting up against it, but I really couldn't tell you what it's really like in one of those places. I wish I could, but I could, but I can't because it's true. Like I don't know, I don't know if this was a sort of accurate portrayal of what being inside one of those things is yeah. like or not. They've tried to do this. They did also that other show on HBO is is like the same thing as this. It's uh, called. Oh, industry! Industry, yeah. yeah they, I heard they about that. They try to that. do high finance. That's a British. That. I think that's set in Britain. Yeah. I mean, from reading about her, it sounds like she did, she went in with a humble attitude. She knew people in finance. She's just like, so what's it like? Just talk to them. What's it like being a, a an analyst? What, what kind of what bothers you about the PMs you work for? And she just and then she you know had had them vet it for accuracy. Uh, but he doesn't get too hung up on it. You know, it's just enough so that you don't get distracted. It doesn't get in the weeds. It's not really important how she how, he loses her. He basic. So about her being uh, too perfect, it, it's always hard to establish that someone's like really great in movies. It's always kind of awkward. It's like you were first in your class at West Point. You've got a lot of grief. So and there is a similar scene when he summons her to the bar. He he quotes some Wall Street Journal some things she wrote in the journal when she was 17. And the quote itself isn't really that, I don't know, to me, it doesn't say that much about her, yeah. but it feels like the, <clears throat> the like finance talk was written by AI. Like, yeah. When they really get into the finance talk, it like, doesn't seem like they really know what they're talking about, but the world right. that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but so, going. but she, um, at any rate, she is established as someone who's very good at her job and I think there is the difference they kind of subtly establish is that she is much more analytical and which does kind of track with like the difference between boys and girls. She She's much more I mean, she makes counterintuitive bets, but they're based on this. She's kind of been nerding out on the research and the Alden character is much more like the gut feeling. And um, so so the pivotal moment when she that comes when she has been promoted and he she's trying to be nice i'll i'll get you the next promotion and i'll and he's working for her essentially which is kind of emasculating he's begging her to to do this um make this deal and she's skeptical and in the end she says she does it and it it flops it loses like 30 million dollars and she says i told you to finish finish your research implying that he had a much more of a you know off the cuff attitude towards it and there's this moment where she the boss, she's talking to the boss and you expect things to be civil and he calls her a fucking bitch. And then she stares at him in shock and he just says, you need to hear it again? Fucking bitch. And she takes it and then he then apologizes. She, then she makes a good deal and makes all this money back and he apologizes to her, but he in, indirectly says, I should probably apologize to you for what I said the last time and she said you mean when you called me a fucking bitch and i think he walks away and his little assistant says mr campbell hopes that this will be adequate compensation and he hands her a check for five hundred thousand dollars like it's it's a bonus from the the good deal that she made oh it's so i missed the whole like <clears throat> bitch part of that so yeah. who calls her the bitch uh eddie marson the boss the boss calls yes. her a bitch. so oh, I see. I she see. makes I see. a bad bet because luke convinces her to it's obviously yeah. her responsibility he calls her a fucking bitch in front of like a bunch of other people she's shocked but then she he says what you don't like basically you don't like it you can you can go home we're not doing any kind of you know a human resource complaint yeah. or anything <laughs> and 
she accepts yeah. it, and then at the very end, when she kind of she emerges triumphant, and you, he's had his meltdown, and she's kind of doing damage control with her boss just to make sure that she's still. And he says something to her like, "You know, none of this matters. Uh, um, all this uh, reputation, all the like drama. You step in, sh- step in shit. Just don't drag it into the office. Leave it at home." Which to me is very much a um, sort of anti-wokeness, anti-DEI statement of purpose, which one suspects at the very top levels of these things, that's all that really matters. Uh, it's yeah. like the, oh, the lower people that. have to deal with all the, the, uh, you know, the human resources stuff and, and behaving properly. But it's like he's admitting her into the upper echelons. Look, here, I might call you a fucking bitch, but it doesn't matter. I respect you for your ability it's got nothing to do with your your um, your sex. Although I couldn't help but think that if you're going to be that ta- if you're that talented as she supposedly is, maybe it's better to be a hot, put together young woman. Well, but so this is the part that this is why it is actually propaganda. Because and so we should talk about the end also because I think oh, yeah. the end really also tips it off. But before we get there. Every one of these feminism porn workplace fantasy things, uh, which I think you could also say that um, uh, Queen's Gambit is one of these also to, to a degree. A Netflix uh, show that the Queen's Gambit's great from, as a, like an underdog story. The, the problem is that this character, and same thing with Queen's Gambit, it doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. Right. This mm-hmm. character simply is not real. Right. There is no girl, great hedge fund trader. That just doesn't exist. There is no great girl chess player. It's not, there has never been one. You know, I mean, there's been women that are very, very good at chess, but they're not within the top 100. You know, I mean, they're, they're not right. even in the, in the game. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying one way or another, this is because women aren't as good at chess or women aren't as good at trading. I'm not going to sit here and like make that claim right now, but this character is not real. You know, like inside these agencies, that is not a real character. There are women who get to the height of various hedge funds and things. I mean, you hear about this stuff, but it's never this way. It's never that they're competing with the guys and the sharks and, you know, they're, they're, they're just making better bets than everybody else. Like that's just, first of all, that's not how it works anyway. But even if that was how it works, women aren't competing like that. You know, they're, they're not competing in that same way uh, that men are. And so it's just really weird and odd that, and also the other thing is when, when you have one of these things that's directed by a woman in a, in a male centric, uh, like story, a lot of male-centric stories end, end with what? They walk into the police station and everybody claps, you know? So it's like <laughs> yeah. men are definitely looking for approval, too. I'm not saying that oh, men yeah. don't want approval of their peers. They absolutely want approval of their peers. But the difference with a male story is they're never working their way up, like, the, uh, the right way. It's always that, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a rebel. Like, they're the outsider, and they do yeah. things their own way. Mm-hmm. And then everybody realizes in the end, oh, they were right, you know? Right. Whereas in the female versions, it's always this, like, desire 
to have the approval of the of the boss, right? Like the, like the boss in this case, it's like she all she wants is for the boss to like pat her on the head, you know? Like that that's really what she wants more than anything else. And so I think that there's something just so cringy about that. You know, it's so it's like so like uh it's just not a story that anybody really wants to relate to. Like, I don't think women, I mean, I think maybe there's a certain type of woman who wants to have it all and they see this and they're like, yeah, like, this is like me. Like I'm, I'm being held down because I'm a woman and blah, blah, blah. Um, even though she's actually not being held down cause she's a woman in this, in this instance. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's funny you say that because the, the desperation for approval and then they give it to him and they make this this cringy moment where he literally gets down on his knees yeah. God, and yeah. and begs this boss in front of in front of everybody to <laughs> to uh i i work basically saying i i only want to work here i worship you if you give yeah. me a chance i will and the guy just says uh is this done are we done here <laughs> and announces that he's already hired someone for the this is your this is the guy we hired for the spot that you were just begging me for. Right. Uh yeah. so maybe that's a sort of projection. I mean, I don't know. That did that did seem pretty extreme. But again, this is a sort of fantasy movie, so it it made it very dramatic that he fell that far. Because yeah. I, that to me, after he does that, then he's then you're like, is this guy gonna snap and start killing people or What's going to well, happen? And it's also such a female fantasy because it's like women, it's like, it's the biggest cringy thing for her because she's realizing this guy that I put all the chips on is actually not the, the top of the food chain, right? Do you think it like, gave, which yeah. is like women's biggest fear. Like they're like, oh, I, I bet on this guy and this guy actually is like he's not respected by, so by th- his, by his like fellows. Do you think it gave her the ick? Yeah. It's like, that, she... this movie is about like getting the ick, getting for, the your, ick. for your husband and, because it's and, like, yeah. And yet you mentioned the end now. So, see, I think she did a great job of kind of really quickly establishing this relationship and making the audience kind of care about them. Cause I thought it was pretty natural. I liked it. It was kind of loose and relaxed and it felt real and lived in. Um, so that I was kind of, I cared, I was like, as uh, I was just thinking, you know, thinking of ways they could still save the relationship. I mean, I identified, like, I understood why the guy was acting the way he did, but I was like, oh man, that's too bad. But I mean, she's, I liked her. I was like, don't, don't lose her. But, um, but at any rate, we talked, you mentioned the end. So they're kind of. She sticks with him until the end, and then there's that scene there at he it's another oh yeah, her mother has thrown an engagement party against her, despite her saying no, don't do it her, her I think it's her mother or maybe his mother I can't remember a family member has thrown a big engagement party for them, and by this point, the relationship has deteriorated, so neither of them want to go, but they end up both going, and they end up having. To mirroring the opening scene where they have sex in a bathroom at his cousin's wedding, they end up having sex in a bathroom. And it's one of these pretty well done for the for the cliche of like fighting and fighting. And then suddenly the anger turns to passion and they're making out and having sex. But then it becomes, um, I guess, a rape or it's rough sex. And she's saying no. I mean, I don't really want to get into the whole 
uh, you know, subtleties yeah. of was it rape right. or not? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. what well, the director and the people that review the movie say, yes, it's rape. And that's why she holds him at knife point in the end yeah. to admit yeah. uh, to me. It's, it is clear that at a certain it's rough, but at a certain point, it's clear that she's not enjoying it. And he's just and it is kind of like angry. Yeah. Uh, but, and then they stop. And then it's I guess that's the end of their relationship. Basically, they they um, or no, the end is when he comes back to the apartment. Yeah, and she, the end is when she in in like that's what, so the very end is when you can tell, oh, this is a movie about the director's. You know, the guy that she liked more than liked her, and she's getting revenge on him. You know, I well, mean, that's she, what she, all these movies yeah. basically are. All, every she, single one of these feminism movies is very much promising young woman. It's a female creative who dated some guy that didn't turn out to be the, the, guy, the guy that she wanted, right? And who she viewed as beneath her, but she was with him anyway. And then he hurt her. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then this is her getting getting revenge, because what happens in the exact in the in the, the very last scene? She says she like makes him say that he wants her back. Yes. And then she goes, get out of my apartment. He, he <laughs> yes. She makes him say I'm nothing. Yeah. She makes him say, right, right. She. He starts yeah. crying and he starts apologizing and yeah, she makes him beg for her back. And right. then she basically is very cold. Yeah. Get, yeah. get the fuck out of my apartment. And, yeah. Right. And right. that's, that's the end. Um, yeah. And um, the, the director has an interview said that in interviews, she said that it, it is based on her experience working in TV. Yeah, so she doesn't right. talk about a relationship. She just talks, yeah. she talks about having to, being in this male dominated environment and put on this certain facade and then go home and kind of have to deflate to, with, with the guy you're with so that you don't, right. you know, yeah. threaten him or whatever. But, but yes. Um, and she's still <clears throat> mad at that guy, right? It's like, she's, she's still <clears throat> mad at that guy. So these movies are all about, are all about that, you know? And it's, it's just, <clears throat> it, it, again, it's well done, but yeah. it's really like, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating because it's like, on the one hand, we have this notion of, all right, like, even though I don't believe in any of this shit, let's right. say, let's take women at their word and, and be like, okay, well, for however, you know, all of time, uh, men have been making movies and TV shows that are basically male fantasies. And sure, there's something to that, right? Like, like the fat Homer Simpson dad. Yeah. is definitely kind of a male fantasy, right? Because he's kind of he's got this beautiful wife or you know very nice doting wife and he has these families but he's kind of adult and he's kind of lazy but you know he's very beloved by everyone. That's for sure comes from the male psyche. You know, I think that we can agree. So, you know, all right, let's let's say that this era will be remembered as tales of the female psyche. You know, right. and in that sense, like, OK, uh, we can understand um, like why some of these movies are being made. But what's lacking is complexity that that's what's really, really frustrating. Like in the male versions of this, 
Yeah, sure. It's coming from the male psyche, and there's really bad examples of it. You know, there's terrible examples of, of male fantasy films. But there's also a lot of really fucking good ones. And there's yeah. also a lot of, of, of extremely complicated male characters who are not good. You know, who are not, you know, they're not like uh, actually the good guy. And I, I just think it would be so much more, what you, what you really notice from Promising Young Women is the perfect example of this. Because it's like, she can't even be an actual killer. Yes, you know, like, that can, was... can she just be a killer mm-hmm. at least? You know, can she actually kill the people? Like, no, she yeah. can't even kill them. She has to like, oh, that would make her actually bad. So she can't and kill it, them. She has yes. to just like shame them. You know, it's and, like... it, and it's removed. It's about her friend's trauma. It's not even like she's getting revenge for herself. So it's this weird right. <laughs> removal. Yeah. That it's like it doesn't have the courage of its convictions or something. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, it doesn't have the courage. Of but you know, I guess so. I guess I'm just what I praise this movie for is for being. It feels like it's a film. She's a filmmaker first, or it is a, a trying to be a movie first and putting the ideology yeah. in after. Kind of remind makes me I think, think of Spike fair. Lee. Like Spike Lee, you know, you can disagree with his movies, but he, oh, did we lose? Oh, hi. Yeah, you, it's like Spike Lee is. He made that movie Inside Man, which was just a genre yeah. movie, and he's he's right. like a good he's a good director. And Dude, in this case, Twenty Fifth Hour is yes. one of my favorite movies ever made. So, and that so, has nothing to do with I mean, almost nothing to do with race. So I, I just get the yeah. sense this was not she did not get ahead. This was not greenlit based on its uh, propaganda. Um, yeah, maybe that helped. Totally right. But it's you know I so I, I definitely want to see what she does next uh and, and i love what well, i want to see it's what like imagine imagine a woman making a movie who just gets up there and goes yeah i'm just making a movie about and just anything <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah like every single time they have to say oh it's actually mm-hmm. about you know men yeah. and women and you know it's like it's like okay well you've made your uh, you know, you've made your well. Okay, wait. So I guess Saltburn. Did you see Saltburn? I did, and it was better than it was better than uh, Promising Young Woman. It, yeah, it, it was more. It tried harder to you know engage the audience, in my opinion. Okay, and did uh, that? Did you, have, did you see uh, it? No, I haven't seen it yet. And does it have? Um, is it like about you know? Is it hitting you over the head with with the woman thing? Uh, no. Not as much. It's more of a class thing. It's okay. and it's 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 more direct, uh, and it's you know I I think the director Emerald Fennell I think she is familiar with that world. She's British in the sort of upper class British world, so that's fun. Richard E. Grant plays the, the sort of out of it rich you know English gentleman, and um, what's the I can't remember the woman's name, but she's also very good. Imogene, not Imogene Poots, or maybe it is her. But a- anyway. I, I, it's worth watching, and uh, it, it, it has its other sort of cringe ideological stuff, but uh, at the very least, it's it's not kind of, like we Wait, said about so a promising... What's the cringe ideology in there, though? Uh, it's very... It's, it's very kind of queer. Yeah. Um, you know, it sort of celebrates... Um, it's the it's the kind of movie that you could I don't know if someone actually said this like you know it, it's the queer thriller we've been waiting for and we are here for it. Um, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the these are bad people. It's not like they're showing gay people as as you know these these selfless heroes. Yeah, um, yeah. It, this is like more of a talented Mr. Ripley type of situation, yeah. but it's much more overt. That is what I would say, but it's worth seeing. I, I enjoyed it. That's Once great. again, you can find everything about Isaac. It's all on carousel.blog. That's where his podcast and his uh, substack, and he's on Twitter at Disgraced Propagandist. Thanks again, Isaac, and I hope to talk to you soon. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. Bye.